And we've got these uh, resources available for you. So here's the thing from last week. This is soaping, and they're out there on the, the table in the foyer. And here's a bless, a, bless, a, a bless, that would be something, a bless and a Franklis card. So uh, hey, maybe that's gospel you know, number three that we'll be talking about. Anyhow, hey, uh, it's good to have you guys here this morning. Good to have the folks out back and watching online as always. I want to begin with, with a question. Have you taken the time to think about what you want to leave as an inheritance and who you want to leave it to? Have you taken the time to think about what you want to leave as an inheritance and who you want to leave it to? I think that's important for us to do, whether you're, you're sort of old or even if you're not quite that old. It's something to consider. Another question is, did, did you realize that God has an inheritance for you? And do you know what that inheritance is? We want to take some time and, and look at that over the next couple of weeks. We want to look at what God's inheritance was for the Israelites, what his inheritance um, is for us, and then really what kind of an inheritance do we want to leave for others? And we're going to continue through Joshua. Up to this point, we've been doing a chapter a week, which has been quite the undertaking. But today we're going to do two chapters. I'm going to cover two chapters in Joshua this morning. So hold on, because here we go. So um, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 12 and 13. If you have a church Bible, starts on page 219 if you want to follow along. Now, I'm going to summarize chapter 12, and I encourage you to go back and read it. But um, verses 1 through 6 describe the kings and the kingdoms that were conquered under the leadership of Moses under the leadership of Moses, and how that land was then given to Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. So that's verses 1 through 6. Now, I, I want to clarify something. This is um, just a question that I've had for a long, long time, and it may be a question that you've had, or maybe you've never even considered this. But the 12 tribes represent the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob. Jacob was also known by a different name, which was Israel, Israel. So when we talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, we're talking about the 12 tribes of Jacob, specifically his sons. But I don't know if you've noticed this, if you go through and you make a list of the 12 sons that Jacob had, one of the sons is missing, a son by the name of Joseph. Do you guys remember Joseph? So Joseph was Jacob's favorite son, and he made that very clear to everybody because he gave him this elaborate coat of many colors, and that didn't go over well with his brothers. They didn't appreciate that, and so they plotted to kill him. But then they decided to do something else. Instead of killing him, they sold him into slavery. And eventually Joseph made his way into Egypt. And he was faithful to God throughout all the hardship that he experienced. And God blessed him, and he even rose to be the second most powerful man in all the land of Egypt. Well, a great famine came upon that section of the world. And Joseph actually saved his family from starvation. God blessed Joseph. And then um, he blessed the Israelites, and they continued to multiply, and, and you know, they ended up 
there's a long story here. They, they ended up enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and then God led them out of Egypt into the promised land. And so what God did for Joseph, while his name is not mentioned among these 12 tribes, he gave him a double blessing. What you'll notice here is two of Joseph's sons are mentioned, Manasseh and who was the other guy? I just, Ephraim, blanked on Ephraim. Anybody else remember Ephraim? I didn't think so. The, uh, so you got Manasseh and you got Ephraim, right? So they are mentioned as their descendants, their tribe, as folks that get part of the land, the inheritance of the Holy Land. But Joseph isn't mentioned. Now, for you guys that are good at math, maybe you picked up on something. So we start out with 12 Right? And then you subtract one for Joseph, but then you add two back for his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. What's that equal? 13. How do we get to 12? Well, hang on, and we're going to get there in a few minutes. So that's verses 1 through 6. Then if you pick up 7 through 24, it describes... Um, all the kings and the kingdoms that were conquered under Joshua's leadership. So this would have been to the west of the Jordan. That's chapter 12. Chapter 12. So that went pretty quickly, didn't it? Now, I would encourage you, go back in and read through it. It's a long list of kings and kingdoms. And you may think, this has nothing to do with me. I, I don't even understand it. But it's important. Or God wouldn't have put it in there. And it's important for us, I think, to realize that this is not just some fairy tale. This has historical significance to it. It has historical significance to it. You can trace these kings and these kingdoms historically. So that's important. So now we get to chapter 13. And I'm going to read um, beginning at verse 1 with you. It says, Now Joshua is old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You're old. And advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. I love that verse. I don't know what it is about it. I think I have an idea, but I, I just love it. It reminds me of when I will say something like to, to somebody or a group of people, and I'll be like, man, I, I am getting old. And they go, yes, you are old. And then I'm like, oh, like it stings. Any, any of you old people know, know that feeling? Like you, you're just sort of being flippant about it, and then they're like, yes, you're old. And that's what was happening with Joshua. God was like, you're, you're old. You're old. Like, at this point in his life, he's probably in his mid-80s, and uh, he's old. And he still has a lot of work to be done. There's still land to be conquered. Now, if we look at the second part of verse 6 and all of verse 7, what we're going to see is how God plans to help them and the Israelites. So listen to this. This is what God says. He said, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now, therefore, divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. So I want to show you a map. Now, we're talking about the inheritance, God's inheritance of land for the Israelites. Over here, so this is the land that was conquered by Moses, and this was divided up um, among Reuben and Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh. So that's east of the Jordan River that runs through here. This, 
pink shaded area is the land that has already been conquered under Joshua's leadership. And all this land over here along the Mediterranean Sea, this is the land that is in question, that has yet to be conquered. There's still more work to be done. And I think this is important because God's saying, go ahead, Joshua, and I want you to divide up all this land among the remaining nine and a half tribes, even though some of it is still occupied by the enemy. I've got this promise for you. This is part of the promised land, but you haven't fully realized the promise yet. There's more work for you to do. There's more work for you to do. And I think the same is true for us. We have these promises of God, and they're sure and they're certain, but there's work for us to do before that promise is fully realized. We live in this awkward in-between state of the already and the not yet. The promises are sure, they're true, but there's still work to be done. Now, That may look um, different for each of us, but I think one of the ways that it looks is like we still have a lot of work to do to to reach our friends, our our neighbors, our coworkers, the the folks on that Frank list, right? We want to be people who reach every man, woman, and child in Roanoke Valley with this good news, this gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that's just part of the work that still needs to be done by us before we fully realize the promises of God. Well, that brings us to verse 8, and if you look at verses 8 through 12, what you're going to see is basically a restating of all of chapter 12, and it describes um, that land east of the Jordan, how it was divided up between Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh. And then you get to 13. 13 is interesting, and it, and it seems a little bit out of place, but here's what it says. It says, Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maacathites, but Geshur and Maacath." Dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. They dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. Now, here's what I think is important. Many of us have been struggling with the fact that um, God has instructed the Israelites when they're going into this promised land and they're, um, you know, raging war against or waging war against their foes. God says, wipe them all out, like kill them all. Don't leave any of them alive. And a lot of us are struggling with that, right? I mean, that just doesn't seem to be the nature of God. That doesn't seem to be terribly loving. And I think part of our struggle is we don't understand God's justice, and we don't have the bigger picture. We don't know why he would say this, because we don't know what is yet to come. And so let me give you a little glimpse of maybe a reason why he's saying to wipe these people out. Again, remember, he mentioned this land of Geshur and Maacath. And so here's the deal. Um, The Israelites were not faithful. They did not wipe those people out. Well, if you keep on reading through the Bible, you're going to come to a spot where you're going to read about this young man, and his name was David. And he came to fame because he killed this giant of a man, by the name of Goliath. You guys remember the story? Now, David eventually rose to become king of all of Israel. And he made one major mistake when he was king. He took multiple wives, multiple wives, against God's will. And one of the wives that he took was a woman by the name of Maacath. 
by Akith. And she was the daughter of the king of Geshur. Okay, are we tying these things together? Now listen, they had a son by the name of Absalom. And, and that dude was good looking. That's what we're told. Like he was, he was a good looking man and he just had this winsome personality. But as he grew older, he led a rebellion against King David. And he tried to kill his own father and take his kingdom. And I can't help but wonder if God had the foresight to know all of that, because he is all-knowing, and if the Israelites had just been faithful and obedient, if they had wiped them out, if none of that would have happened, right? We don't understand the full picture like God does. We just need to be faithful and obedient to everything he says, even when it doesn't make a lot of sense. There's just one small example. Um, it's important because sin and, and evil, they, they run deep. It, it's like weeds. You know, if you got a yard, you deal with some weeds, right? And like I, I try to be meticulous about my yard and have a lawn service to kill all those weeds. And it's, it's like a dandelion. Dandelions are sort of pretty, aren't they? When they bloom, you got the yellow and you're thinking, that's nice. And then what happens? Well, then they become the, the seeds and then they spread all over. And if you're not careful, what happens? All of a sudden, your lawn is full of dandelions, and then it's not all that attractive. Well, what do you have to do to get rid of them? Well, you got to dig down, and you got to get them all out by the root, because if you leave part of the root, they're going to spring back up. And it seems like that goes on and on and on. And in this case, it resurfaces this sin and this evil for generations to come. It needs to be dealt with, even if we don't want to. Now, that brings us to, to verse 14. This is interesting. It says, To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. Moses gave no inheritance. He said, The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to him. All right, so remember the math problem that we had? Twelve tribes, but we got 13 at this point. Here's the solution. The Levites... The tribe of Levi, they didn't get any of the land. 13 minus 1 equals 12. That's how we get the 12 tribes of Israel. Maybe you didn't know that. Hopefully you learned something this morning. So that's how, how we arrive at that. And um, here's why that's important. So the Levites, they had a specific role. And their role was to serve God and to serve others. So they were to um, be just fully focused on religious duties, on serving in the um, tabernacle of their day, the tent of meeting, and then eventually it would become the temple, and then you have synagogues. And so their role was basically, in, in our terms, to be on the church staff, if you will. And they were to be fully dedicated, serving God and serving others. And that's why they weren't given land to farm, and to provide for their families. They were dependent on the tithes and the offerings of their fellow Israelites. And so they were fully dedicated to service, and they had to depend on their brothers and sisters to provide for them, much like today. So in most churches, you have a staff, and they are full-time people that are dedicated to serving God and serving others, and the way they survive is through the tithes and offerings of the people 
and the church. You see how it ties all together going back to the Old Testament? I, I think that's fascinating. So that's what we've got going on here. Now, um, we'll talk more about the Levites and the lack of a tangible inheritance in, in just a second. Um, but I want to finish out the chapter. If you look at verses 15 through 23, it, it describes specifically the land that was given to Reuben. The land that was given to Reuben as an inheritance. And interestingly, you know, tucked away in there in verse 22 is, is um, an account that says Balaam was killed by the Israelites. That Balaam was put to death by the Israelites. Do you guys remember Balaam? So we talked about him a few weeks ago. Balaam was in the business of divination. Divination. And so he was called upon by one of the warring kings to pronounce a curse on the Israelites. He was a diviner. And God speaks very clearly against divination. We should have nothing to do with acts of divination. Things like, you know, astrology. We should not have anything to do with that. Um, Palm reading. Connecting with the dead. Nothing to do with any of that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should not have anything to do with that. God opposes divination. And so um, Balaam was in the act of divination. And you remember how God rebuked him? Through his donkey. Through his donkey. It's a great story. Go reread it. But um, interesting how that is just tucked away right in here as we're describing the land distribution of Reuben for his inheritance. Now, we move to verses 24 through 28, and that's where we see the distribution of the land for Gad as his inheritance. And when I'm talking about his, remember, these guys are dead and gone. It, it's their descendants. It's, it's their tribe that remains. And then finally, in verses 29 through 32, you see uh, the distribution of the land to the half-tribe of Manasseh as their inheritance. So that brings us to the very end, to verses 22, or 32 and 33. All right, so this is how it ends. It says, These are the inheritances that Moses distributed in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance. Listen to that again. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. Now, if I was a member of the tribe of Levi, I might feel a bit slighted. I might feel a bit disappointed. Because God's allotting this land. And he's like, Reuben, your folks, you guys get this land. Gad, this land. Half of the tribe of Manasseh, this land. Issachar, you guys get this. Levi, sorry. Uh, Benjamin, you guys are up. You get this land. I personally, when I read this, I feel somewhat slighted, disappointed, maybe even hurt. And it reminds me back all the way back when I was a sophomore in high school. And we lived in California, and I went out for the basketball team. So I went out for the high school team, and out there we were part of a big school. And so there were 50-plus guys going out for the basketball team then. And so we would have multiple cuts. I don't know if you guys have experienced this before. So you'd, you'd go through a round of cuts, and then 
Um, at the end of the day, the coach would put a list of the names on his door of those who made the first cut. And so I remember the first cut comes, and, and I go with everybody else, and we're lined up, and you're reading the list, and you're just looking for your name, and I'm like, McLucas. And I'm like, Phew. I made the cut. But then there was another round of cuts, second round of cuts, run to the coach's office. Look, Nick Lucas made the cut. Finally, final round. There's no McLucas. I didn't make the final cut. I didn't make the team. And I was devastated. I was so disappointed. And I remember, so the next day, I'm, I'm sitting in, I think it was math class. And all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. And everybody looks, and, and uh, the teacher motions for the person to come in, and it's the basketball coach. And the basketball coach comes up to the teacher, and, you know, they're whispering, and the, and the teacher nods. And then they both look at me, and the basketball coach points at me and says, Scott, can I talk to you in the hallway? And I'm like, sure. You know, my heart is racing. And I go out in the hallway, and the coach says, Scott, look, I am so impressed with you. I, I was wondering if you'd join the team and keep the st stats book. <laughs> my heart just dropped into my stomach. I'm like, you want me to keep the stats? He's like, yeah, I think you'd be great at it. And then I didn't want to disappoint him, and I was still hopeful that maybe the next year I'd make the team, right? So you want to keep the coach on your good side. I was like, all right, I'll do it. But I was so disappointed, and I walked back in the classroom. You can imagine everybody's eyes are on me now, and some of my buddies are there too. And, and so I sit down at my desk, and one of them leans over and goes, so what did the coach say? Are you on the team? He's like, he wants me to keep the stats. I was like, oh. I wonder if some of the Levites felt a little bit like that. Like, we get to keep the stats? Hmm. I kind of wanted to be on the team. You know, I wanted to get some of the land. But here's the thing. The Levites got an even greater inheritance. They got God himself. They had the promise of eternal inheritance with this relationship with the God who created them. That was their reward. That was their inheritance. Not some land that could be bought or sold or taken by an enemy. They had an eternal inheritance. And that was the better thing. That was the better thing. Now, you know, I'm afraid many of us desire what God can give us more than God himself. I'm afraid many of us desire what God can do for us more than we desire God himself. Maybe we desire more of that peace and prosperity that God can deliver more than we desire God himself. I think about um, when things aren't going particularly well in our lives. I think about maybe you know some folks who have fallen on hard times and you've just struggled they, or they've struggled and maybe they, they were once really faithful 
you know, they were faithful and, and praying and faithful and reading their Bible and coming to church. Maybe they were even involved in a small group or a life group, something along those lines. And then God didn't perform like they expected him to. And pretty soon they just kind of faded away. They stopped coming. They stopped spending time with God and with God's people. Do you know anybody like that? I think that's a sign that they were more about what God could do for them more than they were about God. On the other hand, there, there are people when, when life just is going really rough and they turn to God during that time and maybe they begin to, to pray more and they begin to read the Bible more and study it or they begin <clears throat> to start coming to church and they even get involved in a small group or a life group and, and things start to pick up, and things start going really well, and that's exciting. But then once things are good again, they too start fading into the background. Have you ever known anybody like that? I think there, there are two sides of the same coin, two sides of the same coin that really show when we are more about what we desire from God then we desire God himself. And I think we've probably all been guilty of that from time to time. But I think this is a good time for us to consider what is it that we desire most in all the world? What kind of inheritance do we long to get? Is it something of, of worldliness? Maybe possessions, land, money? Or is it something else? What is it that we long to leave behind for others? It's a good time to consider those questions. Now, I, I want to share with you a, a few scriptures that speak to an eternal inheritance, the importance of an eternal inheritance. And, and uh, we're going to begin with Hebrews 9, verses 14 to 16. It says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant, for where a will is involved, the death by the one who made it must be established. So in other words, there are so many people that do good works as a way of really I think just trying to purify their conscience, trying to make themselves feel better. There are people who do good works to try and impress God or trying to impress others. And, and the scripture points to the fact that those are dead. Those kinds of works with that kind of motivation, they're dead. They have no eternal value whatsoever. No eternal value whatsoever. But, but, when we recognize how much God loves us and um, what Christ has done for us, and I'm going to sneeze. <clears throat> nope, <sighs> fixed it. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. But, um, you know, when we see just and experience that love, um, all of a sudden, why we do what we do changes, and, and we begin to serve God differently. We, we live these lives that are dedicated to Him. And, and so... Um, a life like the Levites were living, you know, where they're 
focus is on serving God and serving others may look like this for us. Like maybe, maybe it looks like setting up communion on a, on a weekly basis. You, maybe it looks like uh, leading a Bible study or, or praying with somebody. Maybe it looks like service of some kind that maybe you get to stand up in front of people like this and, and you get to share from God's word. Or, or maybe, maybe it looks like cleaning the toilets in the bathroom or, or holding a crying baby or driving a bus full of elementary school kids who are loud so that they can come to the Achievement Center or come to the day school. See, it can take many forms. It can look many different ways. And I think that's what Colossians 3, 23 and 24 is speaking to. Listen to this. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive, listen to this, the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we're supposed to be serving. And again, whatever you're doing, do it as unto the Lord, not as unto men. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 speaks about this inheritance. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I don't know about you, but I long for an inheritance like this. Wouldn't you like to have an inheritance that's imperishable, that, that's undefiled, unfading, that is kept in heaven for you? That's a great inheritance. I think that's better than any worldly thing, any, any piece of land that may be given to you. That's the type of inheritance that we should be excited about. And um, that's the type of inheritance that awaits us if, if we are like the Levites and we dedicate ourselves to serving God and serving others. Peter goes on to describe this in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and he talks about this concept of the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. Have you ever thought of yourself as a priest? How many priests do we have in the room? Nobody's raising their hand. Do you know, there's a couple, but did you know, like if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been adopted into God's kingdom, you're a priest? Like you're part of this priesthood of all believers? That, that you're called to be a priest in your home. You're called to be a priest in your school. You're called to be a priest in your workplace. You're called to be a priest on the ball fields and wherever you find enjoyment. You're called to be a priest wherever you live, learn, work, and play. That's part of the priesthood of all believers. Now, you don't have to be on a church staff to be considered a priest in God's eyes but we're all committed to serving God nonetheless. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And your reward, your inheritance is sure and it's certain and it's being protected for you in heaven so that rust and worms and anything else cannot destroy it. See, 
think a lot of us lose sight of this, and, and we think all that's important is that we just have like our inheritance secure when we die. Most people just seem to be concerned with, you know, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And they look to that time, maybe when they confessed their faith in Jesus Christ, and um, they committed their life to him, and they pledged their allegiance to him. And they point back to the time when, when they got baptized, and they look to that time, and they're like, man, I'm glad that's over. You know, now I can, I can live however I want, right? I can live however I want because I've been baptized. I profess my faith in Christ. You know, that is not the end game. That is not the end. It's just the beginning. It's supposed to be just the beginning. When you confess your faith in Christ, when you're baptized, it's the beginning. This is when you now get to work, right? God has work. He has plans for you. And so this is when we start diving deeper in prayer and we start to get to know God even better. We talk to him and we learn to really listen more effectively. This is when we get into his word and we're just eating it up, right? Because up to this point, you couldn't understand it, but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is bringing it to life and you're just like, this is good. Like, I had no idea. Look at how all this connects together. And you just keep reading and reading. You're like, I, I need more. I need more because I want to become this disciple that Jesus calls us to be, someone who lives, loves, and leads like him. I want to help other people come to be disciples as well. I want to do whatever I can to help them know the same hope that I have in Jesus Christ. See, this is the beginning for us. It's not the end. We have this assurance when we confess and are baptized, but we still have work to do. And so let me ask you this. What kind of inheritance are you longing for? When, when you think about inheriting something, have you been thinking in terms of worldly things, maybe inheriting some land, inheriting some money or some stuff? Or have you been thinking about inheriting something eternal, something that only God can provide? And then what kind of inheritance are you going to leave behind? What kind of inheritance are you going to leave behind? Is it going to be an inheritance of faith in Jesus Christ? Is that what you're going to leave behind? Or are you just going to leave behind some worldly possessions? Let's pray. God, we thank you that, that you have an inheritance waiting for us if we are truly your children called by your name. We thank you. We thank you that when we come to that point of recognition of your love and, and we commit our lives to you, it's not the end. It's just the beginning and it's exciting. We thank you that we have the assurance of salvation, that we have the assurance of an inheritance that is eternal, that we will spend forever with you. We'll get to enjoy the new heavens, the new earth, and all the riches that come with it. We thank you that that's a surety. That is, that is um, a given for us. But we have work to do still. We, 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 we need to reach every man, woman, and child in the Roanoke Valley with this good news. We need to help others to reach every man, woman, and child in this world with this good news. That's the call. So, Lord, help us to just take a moment and, and really consider what is it that we value most? Is it you? Do we think you're enough? 
you're the greatest inheritance that we could ever receive? Or is it stuff? Is it peace? Is it possessions? What is it? We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.